It's always darkest before the dawn. It's always dark. Yeah. We are in the soup right now, guys. I yeah. can't, can't deny that fact. We are in the soup and it's hard to see when you're in the soup, but uh, the long-term outlook is still very strong for our industry. Hey guys, welcome to the CRE Project Podcast. Hey listeners, welcome to today's show. Um, what a crazy, uh, unique, uh, just absolutely bizarre <laughs> time we are living in right now. Uh, I hope everyone out there is staying safe staying healthy, and most importantly, uh, staying educated and managing your input as it relates to COVID-19 and uh, as it kind of works its course through uh, the world and the United States specifically. Um, You know, we are lucky, uh, very lucky to have uh, Spencer Levy uh, on the show with us today to guide us, uh, offer us some clarity in the current uh, climate that we find ourselves in as a society um, and as a country and as a marketplace. So Spencer is the chairman of America's Research for CBRE and the senior economic advisor for CBRE. Um, which makes him just an absolutely tremendous resource uh, for us and the show and society. So he has some very, very valuable insights. Um, Over 25 years of experience uh, has seen multiple cycles uh, and multiple events happening in the commercial real estate field. So getting his input on COVID-19 and the impact of commercial real estate um, is is very valued at this point. So uh, we hope you enjoy the show. Here we go. Spencer, uh, thanks again for being on the CRE Project podcast. Greatly appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I think it goes without saying you're kind of the pretty girl at the uh at the dance right now uh everybody wants to to talk to you and get your insight and i think you know i was telling gannon that um you know healthcare workers are getting a lot of credit uh right now and they should but i think that uh you know individuals like yourself uh are just as valued right now because you're maybe not uh physically taking care of people mentally, uh, you're providing direction and some clarity uh, and some calm in the midst of this this unique, uh, interesting storm that we're in right now. So uh, with well, that thank being you. said- If I can correct you, if I might, uh, not correct you, but I want to just add another shout out there. And, I, and nobody has more um, uh, admiration for healthcare workers, the medical people on the front lines today than me. But I want to add a another couple categories there. There are a lot of people that are in this commercial real estate industry in property management that have to go into work, notwithstanding the crisis, because they're the ones keeping the lights on for many of these medical workers. They're they're the ones keeping the buildings operating so that essential businesses could work. So there are a lot of heroes here today, uh, medical uh, being front and center, but uh, in the property industry as well. 
absolutely. I couldn't, could not agree more. So, but again, thank you for providing clarity in these times. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. So, I'm, Spencer, if you, if you don't mind, you know, can you give our listeners just a, a real brief background on, on who you are um, and your title? But more importantly, what role are you specifically finding yourself playing right now uh, in, this, in the CRE arena? Sure. Well, uh, first of all, delighted to be here and thank you for having me. Uh, I've been in the business for 25 years in a variety of roles. I was a lawyer, investment banker, capital markets leader, and then research leader for the last five years. Really, in the last three or four years, I've also played the role of uh, spokesman um, in large part for real estate matters for the company in the Americas. And I think that role today has uh, never been more important because I have been speaking not only on uh, great podcasts like yours, but also to just about every client we have, uh, major and smaller clients, uh, United States and globally. Um, I, I, I literally suggest that I'm gonna be speaking to 100,000 people but the most important thing I can give are the facts as I see them and using the best evidence I have and then using my opinion of those facts based upon comps that I think are relevant to the discussion. And I think that's the key today because one could be an optimist or a pessimist, but you need to back it up by evidence of things that have done what you suggest is going to happen in the past. And I think that's the key area of where we are right now is what are the comps? Because I think if people look at the comps that most people are looking at, which is what happened in the global financial crisis and the post 9-11 tech bubble, you're going to reach a a certain conclusion as it relates to the depth of how far our industry is going to suffer fundamentally, rents going down, and from a value perspective. But if you look at additional comps, and the additional comps might be what happened in in Asia on SARS in 2003, what's happening in China right now in COVID-19, uh, and then smaller comps would happen after Hurricane Sandy or the uh, L.A. port strike of 2014, 2015, you might get different conclusions. And I think you have to look at all these comps and try to reach a, a reasonable conclusion on what's going to happen next. Now, I have been uh, at the more optimistic end of the scale than, than many, but I'm on the more optimistic end because I'm looking at a wider range of comps, number one, and number two, I think I'm probably a little bit more aware just how massive and how fast the fiscal and monetary authorities jumped in here uh, that can really provide us a a tremendous boost late this year into 2021. Uh, It's always darkest before the dawn. And because I'm one step removed from the battles that are happening on the front lines, maybe I I see a little differently, but I will tell you, I see the battles on the front line coming across my email and my conversations every day too. Yeah. I think it's interesting that your role specifically, I think you're, typically asked to forecast you know years ahead of time sometimes and this is again a kind of a unique situation because people aren't only focused on okay what's gonna happen next year but they're focused on okay what's gonna happen in the next couple weeks you know this thing is just evolving so quickly it's just a really unique situation to kind of gauge it and you know Spencer you've obviously been doing this again for 25 years a long time how, how does this feel based on everyone that you've been talk, talking to in your profession? You work with a lot of high caliber individuals. How does this feel different than 01 and 08 and other corrections historically? Um, and how, do you, how are you going to gauge certain metrics differently in this, in this specific uh, 
I don't know if you want to call it a correction, but this specific situation that we're in. Well, I will use the R word. You mean this recession? This is the actual <laughs> word. I used in to be, I used to hot duck from that word, just like I used to duck from the B word, which is the bubble word. Yeah, uh -huh. but, but I'm not ducking the recession word right now because it's squarely in the face. It's happening. It's real. It's deep and it's going to be bad uh, for, for a while. It really isn't that long, but it's going to be deep and dark. It's going to be 90 days of some of the toughest sledding any person alive has ever seen. And that's the bad news. The good news is after that, we're still optimistic. We're going to have a V-shaped recovery. Uh, which will uh, accelerate in the third and fourth quarters. The problem in property is property is always a lagging indicator to the overall economy. So while we're going to see certain areas pop up much more quickly, uh, consumable retail like restaurants, hotels, uh, certainly from, from a leisure travel standpoint, it'll take a little bit longer from a business travel standpoint as conferences have to be rescheduled. But other areas might take a little bit longer um, in terms of new office demand. But the thing about the office sector is office leases are always expiring. Yeah. So there's always pent up demand, even in a face of uncertainty. Uh, but the good news is that uh, we believe it is going to uh, bounce back uh, late this year, early next uh, strongly. So but back to your question, what does this feel like? Yeah, feels bad. <laughs> right? It feels scary. I mean, I, I, I'm not uh, immune to those feelings because um, my wife has a small business and we're going to be applying for an SBA loan for that. So yep. I'm seeing this stuff real time. Her business had to be shut down. So it's not just me as the prognosticator for our industry. It's me as a person, as a father, as a husband, seeing these issues and seeing my family afraid. And um, I don't like it and yeah. nobody likes it. But and, um, I'm able to take a step back and feel, feel good about the future notwithstanding. Yeah, what do you feel like as far as a, you know, and again, no one has a crystal ball. Uh, you're probably the closest individual to having a crystal ball out of, out of many people. But I mean, recovery-wise, compared to 01 and 08, mm -hmm. talk a little sure. bit about that. So I'll give you the, how about I give you the numbers, and Please. then we can, then we'll, then we'll back into where we're going to go. Yeah. Okay, so if you took a look at the 01 and then the 09 recoveries, they saw similar patterns of dropping and then coming back and the drop in each of those cases it took about two years to go from peak to trough rents and then about six years total from the from peak to peak for rents to get back to their prior levels in most asset classes values pounced back quicker it took about four years for values to get back to par and some faster than that in the areas you might expect most notably industrial but the short answer is it was six years peak to peak in rents four years peak to peak in value and why do we think it might be faster this time? Well, because this time we're looking at a completely different type of recession, one that was not caused by bad actors per se. It was not, there was no, there's no villain here uh, you know, on Wall Street or any other of the usual suspects of villain. Nobody really did anything wrong. People were a lot more conservative coming out of the last go around and everybody's in this together. So I guess the good news of the bad news is there's no obvious villain here that's going to say, aha, this person should not get bailed out, yeah. um, to use that term. Um, so I think the good, and, and because of that, that is why the federal government and other world governments acted so swiftly, so decisively, and why I believe they're going to continue to act. So notwithstanding the fact we have approximately $4 trillion of stimulus that's already uh, coming in, we're going to have more. Because notwithstanding the fact that the doors might open on June the 1st, 
it's going to take a long time for some businesses to bounce back. And we know that based upon what's happening in China today, notwithstanding their fairly rapid bounce back overall, there are some businesses that are really lagging. And unfortunately, one of those is automobiles uh, and other large purchases. But uh, if there's comedy in this whole thing, here's my new favorite term that was coined by my colleague, Henry Chin, uh, who's my colleague in, on the ground in Hong Kong. And he says, he sees these queues of people, these lines of people lining up for restaurants and for luxury goods stores. And he calls that quote unquote, revenge retail. And what is revenge <laughs> right. retail? Like that. I love that term. And man, yeah. quote Henry Chin, not me, but I'm taking it. Yeah. yeah. And what it means is I'm sick and tired of this and I can't wait to go to a restaurant. And by the way, if you guys come down here to Baltimore, I'll go with you. I mean, I'm the, I'm going to be the first guy there and I'm not the only guy thinking that way. And you know what? That's a good thing from an economic perspective because pent up demand will get us back on our feet sooner. The, the other metric I'm curious to hear from your perspective, a guy that studies and analyzes, you know, cycles, et cetera. How are you viewing unemployment in this case? Because it's just such a unique situation where, again, you don't have a, a certain villain. You don't have, you know, these layoffs that seem to be happening, you know, this week, uh, you know, or throughout the past couple of weeks. I mean, a lot of them are furloughs. A lot of them are short term. Again, you know, once we get over this hurdle, restaurants are going to rehire. Is there any, can you, Talk about that a little bit. Is that being viewed differently sure. from so an economical the, perspective? The, the tragedy, there, there is no such thing as a good job loss at all, but these are particularly um, particularly bad job losses because they're hitting disproportionately people at the uh, in the service industries, which typically are lower paid. And, and the people who could least afford to lose their jobs are losing their jobs, right? Mm -hmm. It's awful. That's the bad news. The good news is there's going to be significant snapback. So the people that are losing their jobs are in restaurants, hotels, and travel disproportionately. And now we're seeing some of that bleed into oil and gas as well, because the price of oil was a unwelcome guest at the worst party of all time when that decided to uh, dip as well. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, with the exception of oil and gas, which will take longer to snap back, the restaurant jobs, the hotel jobs, the travel jobs will snap back very quickly. So you're going to see a quick snap down in unemployment and then a quick snap back up in those areas. But there will, will be some people that are uh, left on the sidelines. You will see some uh, people that are in uh, other types of jobs uh, losing their jobs as well. So uh, nobody will be spared. No industry will be spared. But at least in the short term, it's going to be disproportionately there, which is the bad news, really bad news. The good news is we expect that to snap back quickly. So where's Spencer, where, Spencer uh, go ahead. With, yeah. That, yeah, with that being said, you know, a lot of the temporary... 90-day tough sledding, V-shaped recovery, hard hit, but but snapping back pretty quickly. Do you see any trends, uh, particularly in retail or in any other asset class that are going to maybe just change the way that people do business operationally? Or do you think it's going to be back to the status quo when, when stuff gets better? Well, the argument you're making, uh, I hear it I've heard it now five, six times today alone, it's called the secular argument because there's two types right. of arguments for change. One argument is the cyclical argument, meaning that everything goes up and down, comes back. Secular is the, quote, this time is different argument because of things that have happened that are gonna never bring it back to where it was. And so the three basic areas we're hearing the secular argument are in office, retail, and industrial. And the office segment is the one I have the least uh, agreement with, uh, because the argument that's being made in the office segment 
is that because so many people are working from home, including the three of us, the four of us, including Chris, there are people who are going to have a permanent demand downdraft on using office space uh, because people can figure out how to work from home and it works and people want to be further apart from individuals, all these things. Well, I don't believe it. And I'll tell you why I don't believe it. Because every survey we have done for the last 10 years show that more and more people want to be in offices because they're more productive, they're happier, you can attract them, retain them. That has not changed and that's not gonna change. What will change is maybe what we see in office design and that having maybe more square foot for people rather than less, which has been the trend over the last yeah. 10 plus years, the densification trend. Uh, you may see the traditional office space have HVAC systems and other cleanliness systems similar to a medical office building that they have today uh, so they have a much more clean environment. So uh, the secular argument in office is what we call the fluid marketplace. And I'll make a shameless plug for a report we just wrote called the CBRE 2030 report, which talks at great length about that and several other trends coming. So we saw this trend coming. It's yeah. not going to change. Yeah. And in fact, it may lead to more, not less office demand. And we can certainly debate that. The second area is in retail, which has obviously been going through the greatest transformation over the last 20 years of anybody else because of the internet. Will we see more change? Will it accelerate these changes? Well, in some areas it might, certainly in the delivery of food to your homes because people are locked down. They learned that, well, Peapod and other services like that work, maybe restaurant deliveries work, but I think people are gonna still wanna go to restaurants. People are still gonna wanna go to the grocery store. And so, uh, I, and I think restaurants, maybe they'll get bigger, maybe there'll be more square footage, less, People getting it, but actually, I don't believe that one because I'll tell you what, the day this thing's open, I'm going to a bar and I hope it's crowded <laughs> as hell. And I am not alone at all. Um, but uh, so I don't see that sector being materially disrupted. On the tragedy, though, there are going to be many restaurants that may not come back because they were on, um, they were teetering to begin with, and this may have put some of them over the edge, which is, which is terrible. And that may happen to some retailers as well. So you're going to see some lingering damage from this. Um, as the snapback won't snap everybody back in retail. Um, but the new, new concepts will emerge. And I, I'm confident that retail has been uh, evolving for 400 years and will continue to evolve for 400 more. The, other, the one sector I think objectively is going to benefit is industrial, because I think all the e-commerce trends obviously benefit that. We've seen certain areas like cold storage where there is a clear shortage. And by the way, yet another shameless plug, CBRE wrote a report on the shortage of cold storage about nine months ago, talking about just this. And I think what you've seen is that notwithstanding how efficient we've become in supply chains, we are not resilient. And that is the word you're going to hear because when, when things got bad, we ran out of toilet paper. I mean, mm -hmm. what, what are the odds of that? Yeah. And, and the reason for that was because we just are all just in time as it comes to our um, industrial demand, our uh, retail demand, our other things. And so I see a demand for more industrial space, not less, on just about every mega trend that's going to happen today, uh, even though there's going to be some areas in industrial that uh, are going to change too. I mean, if we begin to see resilience mean more manufacturing coming back to the States, well, maybe that means uh, port industrial isn't as important, but we have more in the interior. But last mile, I think, is going to be... Um, which was also yet another idea in our 2030 report uh, going to do, do exceptionally well. 
So um, on those three specific categories that you just kind of outlined, I kind of have a, a bit of a question, like get your perspective on each. On the, on the office side of it, who do you think determines that secular shift? Do you think it's the employers or the employees? Is it going to be people saying, hey, I like working from home. I feel like I'm more productive from home, which contradicts what, what you were saying, what your research indicates. Or do you think it's the employers saying, hey, they're as productive or pretty darn close. Is it worth, you know, the overhead to keep leasing space? What's your opinion on that? Well, let, let me give you a, a good analogy. Um, why? Let, let me ask you a question. So we just did a report, yet another report. Again, this is not shameless plug day. I'm just giving the reports that we've written on the topic. <laughs> You're just good at what you do. It's okay. <laughs> it's, it's shameless plug day. Uh, That's what we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put them in the notes. Send there them you on, go. Send them to us so and here, we'll here's your, your next everyone. shameless plug yeah. where we wrote a report last year uh, and we've written it for several years called uh, the Green Buildings Report. And the Green Buildings Report ranks cities on which city is the greenest based upon how many green buildings they have. And the number one city for green in the office sector is Chicago. About 75% of their office buildings are deemed to be green by being LEED or other types of environmentally certified. Do you know what the number one city is for multifamily? It's Wash it's it's Denver. And do you know what their percentage is? 7.4%. Wow. Wow. 74%? 77.4%. Why? Why is there such a massive difference? Because the employees of the tenants demanded it in the office space, but those very same employees aren't demanding it when they go home at night to pay their own rent in multifamily. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. If the employees don't demand it, it's not going to happen. And so um, even though the, uh, the chief property officers at these companies are the ones that ultimately make these decisions and they're always looking at cost as their first metric, though I think that is now evolving and changing to be something that is more uh, human focused, more productivity focused. Um, nevertheless, employee demand will drive this uh, and it will um, force the chief property officers to change uh, the nature of how they look at real estate. Now, are there some employees that are going to want to work from home too? There are. And there was already a generational shift there, uh, particularly among millennials as they got older, got married, had kids. They already wanted more of that. But nevertheless, uh, I think more square footage for employees is probably a likely trend we're going to see. So in your opinion, if you have a large office portfolio, are you worried right now or are you not worried? I'm not worried okay. because I think that, you know, going back to my four or five different cycles I just talked about, it will bounce back. It always, it's always bounced back. There's no secular shift and there is an argument to be made for more space rather than less. Are we going to see short-term issues? Absolutely. We're going to see short-term issues. And some of the areas that are going to get most impacted are those that have industry concentrations that are most impacted, like the oil and gas industry in Houston or Calgary or Edmonton, like the travel industry uh, in uh, Miami or places that have uh, cruise ships and things like that. But we, you're going to see it bounce back uh, and bounce back strongly because the office is a superior place to get work done yep. and always will be. Good, good. Especially if you have kids. <laughs> like, like all of us <laughs> so true um so by the way you can't hear it but there's a there's literally a basketball bouncing above my head it's my son in his bedroom so exhibit a uh, yeah so we true. cannot hear it so um so retail wise um 
on that on that specific category uh, or on that specific segment, is there categories you feel like certain landlords should be looking at in their portfolio that should cause worry? Because I'm of the same opinion, and I told Gannon, I think that restaurants will bounce back, no problem, QSRs, et cetera. You know, how long and how much, how long will the scarring um, be here as far as certain categories within retail? I mean, is it, the, is it the categories that have already been kind of a little bit on the edge, circling the drain, if you will? Um, is there new categories? And like, you know, for example, you know, are people, are the consumer, in your opinion, going to view uh, services like, you know, haircuts or massage uh, type of retailers differently now based on this pandemic? I mean, is that something that you feel like a retail landlord should be worried about? Just wanted to get your take on that. I think that when you're in the eye of the storm, in the heat of the moment, those types of arguments are natural. I think over the long term, people are still going to go back to nail salons, hair cutteries, massage places, as you put it, uh, places that have close physical contact um, because they um, like going to these places um, and they're going to get to get over this fear factor. I think there's ways that this fear factor is going to be overcome uh, dealing with uh, advanced or enhanced hygiene uh, at all these places temperature gauges, testing, that sort of thing. In the short term, in the long term, I think people will just get past it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. So let's talk a little bit about hospitality because that's been a little bit of the buzz as well. Um, can you share some stats on that and just kind of your overall viewpoint on that segment? Sure, so our, our outlook for hospitality is, uh, is pretty dark in the short term. Uh, our forecast, which I saw a week ago, which probably got reforecast in the last two days as <laughs> so we keep doing these things, was that second quarter demand for hospitality is going to be down about 60%. Mm. And then um, down for the year, uh, about 37%, a really, really ugly year. Uh, but then bouncing back uh, and bouncing back in terms of uh, demand uh, for uh, hospitality, both uh, first from the leisure traveler and second from the business traveler. Because the business traveler, conventions typically take several years to get rolling in the bookings period. So that will take a little bit longer, but hotels will bounce back as will a lot of these uh, Airbnb type places. They're gonna bounce back too, because traveling is, like I said, it's something people want to do because it makes them better. What is, how does it make you better? It's better on a business, even though this call is going great. and It's better if we were in person. It'd be better if I was sitting in your studio. Yep. Yeah. And um, I agree more. just yeah. like uh, any business meeting will, and just like uh, I like, I can put a picture of Hawaii on right behind me, but I ain't in Hawaii. Uh, and I was supposed to go to Hawaii in November and I, damn it, I hope I still go. <laughs> we do too, for your sake. Thank you. You can see I'm getting a little punchy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, again, I, I agree with you. I mean, how, how long do you think it will take for them to recover from this? And for I hotels apologize to recover? I said that. But I I missed it. Did you? Well, we've we've. I mean, the best thing to look at is prior periods of distress, and I guess the one that I would look at from the most optimistic end was the SARS period, when uh, the North American city that was most impacted by SARS was Toronto, which had an an outbreak, and so we saw a, a huge drop off in hotel demand, which lasted about six months, and then it got back to about par. So that would be the most optimistic case of about six months 
for the for the bounce back. I think that's probably a little bit too optimistic because of the massive fall off in business travel that's happened this time too. But nevertheless, I see the snapback um, within a year uh, of about to where we are uh, prior to the crisis. Okay. Um, so moving right along then, because we're trying to get, you know, squeeze yeah. as much as we can and get your opinion on really any everything. But, you know, multifamily um, has, you know, obviously always been kind of a steady, a steady investment, especially the last couple, you know, years, given the uh, fluidity and, and retail and other segments. In multifamily, do you see any gaping holes and specifically as it relates to the unemployment, um, you know, are certain classes within multifamily going to be affected by this uh, for a long period of time? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, not over the long term, over the short term, absolutely. Uh, over the long term, uh, also going back to my shameless plug for that report, our number one investment class idea for the next 10 years is multifamily and it remains multifamily because all of the mega trends support multifamily from the gig workforce to the fact that people don't have the money to put down for deposits on single family homes um, to a lot of other factors. Also because multifamily is underinvested in places like Europe. So we see that as uh, more of a greenfield opportunity. But we, uh, in the short term, workforce housing, lower, lower income housing is gonna get hit hard from uh, people not paying rent. Uh, and we'll know how bad that is uh, in the next couple of weeks. I mean, April 1st is what, tomorrow? Yep. And yeah. so we'll know very quickly uh, how this is going. And just to give you a couple of stats, I was in a phone call with a large investor this morning and uh, that has already seen their April rent collections in Europe and 90% of their office tenants paid, 20% of their high street retail tenants paid. And it's a you know very tough situation so far. And now the month ain't over, the collections ain't over yet. But you know you can see the writing on the wall that it's gonna be a tough month. But that's the bad news. The good news is it will give us some certainty as to where we are. And that's what the market needs, yeah. is certainty as to the depth of the problem, and then we can move forward. So I'm not telling anybody not to pay the rent or, or not to pay the work. You should. If you can, you should, yeah. point blank. But once we figure out what the, the depth of the problem is, then we can start to come back and work through it. Do you, think, do you see any changes in the senior living space because of this? Other than, or do, do you think that's just strictly going to be operational? Well, there, there are, there are, there is two things there, and I had, a, I had this conversation earlier today too. And the what drives senior demand isn't just getting older and needing a assisted living or independent living place. It's also the value of your single family home is the single biggest driver of people to go into senior housing, because if you have a lot of built up equity in your house, you're more willing to move. If you don't, you're less likely to move and more likely to age in place. So even though the COVID-19 tragedy that hit Seattle at that uh, nursing home up there, uh, and there have been other similar stories, uh, as gonna retard demand in the short term, the, the bigger short term um, demand killer is the uh, likely fall off in the value of single family homes that's gonna hit America uh, over the next year or more. Um, I like the segment over the long term, every demographic trend points towards needing more of that. But the short-term COVID problem is actually second, in my opinion, to the problem of the, the fall off in value of single-family homes. Interesting. Hmm. Yep, absolutely. And, and Spencer, are there any questions right now that, that can't be answered, you know, that, that people are asking but are just unknowns that maybe we're not addressing that, that you have heard in your circles? I think, we've, I think we've hit it well. And as you mentioned somewhere in this interview, I'm a guy who typically looks at the long term. Yeah. I'm now the guy who's got to look at the next 90 days. 
And it, it, typically 90 days is a blip in my, my business, but this, this is maybe the most important 90 days our business has ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. So pivoting a little bit from uh, specific segments within real estate, from more of a macro perspective, Spencer, do you think that we'll see um, price corrections in the near future uh, or price adjustments? I should say, I should say, um, and what, what timeline do you think we're looking at in that regard? Well, I guess let me start with some good news and I'll get right to your question. The good news is we're still closing deals. Yeah. And most of the deals that we're closing are at the originally negotiated price. Yep. Um, now that I've said the good news, the, the deal velocity is slowing. We've seen a lot of deals fall out of contract. We've seen a lot of contracts extended to get past this 45 day period, 45, 60, 90 day period, whatever, how long you want it to be. Um, and so the question is really happening then when you have no transaction volume or slowing transaction volume, where does price discovery, what's everything worth? And so I can give you a couple of examples of things I have seen. Uh, we've seen a material increase in uh, so-called repricing or some people call retrade asks. Uh, in fact, in a survey we did last week, over 50% of the buyers asked for some form of repricing or retrade. And those range from 1% to well over 10%. Uh, but we only saw a couple of deals that had a material repricing and a, a 10 to 20% repricing. Uh, most deals priced where they were. Um, and uh, that's not inconsistent with prior studies we've done in 2013, 2017 on the same um, metric. At the same time, we do expect prices to fall. And um, the numbers you've heard of how much a price is going to fall in the near term are 10 to 20%. Uh, depending upon what asset type you're in, depending upon your market, depending upon what stage of development it's in, those types of things. But that's a number that I think that most people in the industry feel is is about right. And will it come in the form of cap rate expansion? Maybe not, because I know some large people who say, you know, we're keeping cap rates where they are because the cost of capital isn't changing. What has changed is your fundamental underwriting assumptions for for short-term rent stability and longer-term rent growth. And so you can keep your cap rate the same, but if you lose X percent off of your NOI, that's where the value diminution comes in. So do you think we will see cap rate expansion in certain segments? I do. I do. I think that there's going to be some short-term uh, cap rate expansion. Uh, how much? I'm not sure. I, you know, Let's say 10 to 20% of value. What percentage of that comes out of cap rate? What percentage of that comes out of um, fundamental diminution? We could debate that. But I do see some expansion in the short term. Uh, but I will say what I see long term. Yeah, And I, I made this argument up until three weeks ago, and I'm sticking to it right now. Notwithstanding the fact we see some short-term cap rate expansion, some short-term value diminution, over the long term, I see cap rates going down. I stand by that position. I've written several blogs about that position because the greatest force in the universe is inflation getting slower. And it's going down because of too much cheap money, cheap energy, cheap labor and innovation itself and demographics that are just slamming it down. Now in the short term, are we likely to see some upward inflationary pressure? Absolutely, because of all this money coming into the system. But I think that's not a bad thing because it will force people to buy a little bit. And I don't think it's gonna be runaway 1970 style inflation. We have too many tools to, to keep it in check. So from my perspective, short term, uh, Upward movement in cap rates, downward movement in values, long-term, the same trends will apply after we get past this period. So do you, and just in your opinion, do you see people fleeing certain uh, asset classes towards other, i.e., do you see money leaving from retail, 
going more towards multifamily because of COVID or, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Good real estate is good real estate is good real estate. And I can tell you point blank, cause I speak to a lot of investors while a lot of people are saying, Oh, we don't want retail or hotels today. Yeah. I got a lot of people who want retail and hotels right now. Good real estate is good real estate. So I don't think the, I don't think we fundamentally changed our business in a secular way against any asset class. Um, so what can you, can you explain to our listeners a little bit? What does the fed stimulus do for people in the commercial real estate field? A lot, but it's never enough, right? <laughs> it's, it's a lot, but never enough. And, yeah. and so I would say the areas where it's done the most obvious help in the short term is in the multifamily space where Fe Freddie and Fannie have given explicit uh, direction how to do forbearance on mortgages, explicit direction on how to uh, give rent relief. Um, and then it cascades down from there in the bank space, not as much though FDIC has given some guidance, not as much in the insurance space. And then when you get to the conduits, and to the non-bank financial institutions, almost no guidance and, and may not happen. So I would say um, a lot in multifamily and then less from, from there. I've uh, done some help in the SBA by giving uh, small businesses loans uh, that can help them survive. Um, but um, beyond that, uh, we're just gonna need to support these uh, unfortunate un unemployed workers yeah. uh, so they can continue to consume, which is gonna help retail, help them get back on their feet. And then once this, this crisis is over, I certainly hope that the um, spigot is open for the most liberal uh, uh, new business formation capital imaginable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then our, our last segment, um, we call it, what would you say? Um, and I think there's three categories specifically within the CRE field, but what would you say to developers specifically uh, right now in the commercial real estate space, what would you tell them? Great change creates great opportunity. If you are in a situation in a bind of sorts, I've never seen lenders be more flexible than with people that are in trouble. I saw a deal the other day where a guy just took out a loan on a couple of hotels and the lender unsolicited sent this guy a letter, gave him a 90 day forbearance um, and he had a personal guarantee. Wow. So we're seeing activity like that in this space. And um, I certainly hope to see more of that. So have hope, but also have optimism because uh, notwithstanding the fact we're all in a defensive mode right now, yep. there are going to be more and more people on offense because there's great opportunities out there. What would you tell, uh, what would you say to brokers right now? Our skills are never going to be more valuable than they are right now and will be in the long term. And great relationships are built at times like this. And then what would you say to investors that may be just frozen right now? What would you tell them? Uh, I would say that uh, for the next 30 days, I wouldn't disagree with their, their mindset of being very hyper-focused on property management, asset management, landlord-tenant issues. Um, their capital lining up for 30 days after that to find terrific opportunities. Uh, there will be terrific opportunities. And most importantly, the long-term fundamental outlook for commercial real estate is still strong and will remain so. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, Gannon, you this have any other questions? This is a very, uh, I think, optimistic and reassuring conversation. <laughs> Which is Honestly. Good. It's always darkest before the dawn. It's always dark. Yeah. We are in the soup right now, guys. I yeah. can't, can't deny that fact. We are in the soup, and it's hard to see when you're in the soup. 
but uh, the long-term outlook is still very strong for our industry. So when do you, just to, just to kind of put a ribbon on, when do you feel like personally you'll see a rebound um, and, you know, normal, quote unquote, come back to surface? I think you're going to see a, a immediate, what I call revenge retail spike in spending. I think you're going to see a lot of the office tenants that have leases that are expiring doing their deals. And then I think, what, what, when are we going to get back to normal, normal? I yeah. was quoted in the LA Times on that the other day. And I said, when are we going to get back to normal, normal? Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think normal, normal does not reemerge for another 18 months. Okay. Well, greatly appreciate your insight. Uh, yes, Spencer, thank you very so, much. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you to my colleague, Chris Hudson, who's on the call for helping yes. arrange this. Greatly appreciate it. So, All right, thank guys. You, take, care. take care. yourself. Thanks, Spencer. Thank you, CRE Project Podcast listeners, for spending some time with Clayton, Spencer, and me today on the show. That was absolutely fantastic. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Most certainly interesting times as we are all trying to work business as usual in these highly unusual times. We uh, appreciate you spending some time with us, as I said, and you can always find more information on thecreprojectpodcast.com. If you haven't and you would be willing to do so, please leave us a review on any of the platforms you're listening. Definitely helps us out. We wish you all the best. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.